Yeah, they're like like the, the buns themselves are maple flavored. Like they they're, they're basically pancakes, Thompson. Like I, I don't know how you've never had a McGriddle. I, I asked specifically for a face of Jesus in this, and this is clearly Steve Pashimi. And that might be Willem Dafoe, actually. So you, they may have gone it right. They they might just be uh, operating on a you know a typical depiction Jesus? of yeah yeah exactly the ostentation of I Christ see, Jesus. I see. So yeah, you know maybe. I guess that's not precisely, you know, um, might be a little bit heretical according to the Catholic Church, yeah, 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 but I'd say they fulfilled your request in spirit, perhaps even in Holy Spirit. Yeah. I only acknowledge yeah. muscle Korean Jesus. You know what I'm talking All about. All right, well, then how do you know that's not him? All it is is the face. You don't get to see his hot dog. Hey, hey. It's true. Hey. Hey, hey, you guys! I recognize, I recognize you. Hey, you're you're that famous occultist Frank Tormson and some other guy I've never seen or heard of before. Yeah, that's Listen, me. No, I, it, this is great. See, I was I was over there in the play place. I pushed a kid into the ball pit so I get at that demo N64, but it had a wandering analog stick, so I figured I'd come over and harass you instead. Uh, hi, Tormson. You know this guy? Oh, right. Of, yeah, of course. No, it's, it's me, uh, Maxwell. Quote Melonbread. Close quote Nelson. The Melonbread. The Melonbread. Uh. Yes, with two L's. Malone Brett? Yes, exactly. Famous Ace Detective? Based on my understanding of how a McGriddle works, a melon bread McGriddle might actually work. What? I can like see two that, pieces honestly. of yeah, melon like pan it. with a meat or something in between them? Yeah, that actually yes. be pretty decent, Well, I so I, um, I've kind of burned out on, like, the very thick piece of exotic bread sandwich thing, because I'm not a big bagel sandwich guy. I think a, a toasted pop yeah. with a schmear is, is, is where I want to be. Like, you put a lot of stuff on there, and you just made it like a Dagwood sandwich. It's too tall. Uh, similarly, there's a truck around here that does latka press sandwiches. But again, a latka is a very greasy piece of fried potato that I just yeah. want to have by itself or with a dipping sauce. So typically, when I go to the latka press truck, I just get... Uh, couple of latkes, a pickle, and a matzo ball soup. I could see that, like, I could see latkes being part of the contents of a sandwich, sure, the same way that one might put french fries in a burger or something, but as the buns itself seems a bit much. Anyway, you guys are are reacting a lot better than I expected, (laughs) considering that time that I held you captive in that cargo container, but I was, I heard, and I figured I'd ask you, because you you two are the best, um... At least in this immediate McDonald's, at answering this question, what's going on with uh, Scottish Rite? Oh, what is oh going on with Scottish Rite? Oh god, lots oh, um, going on with Scottish Rite. Yeah, I mean it's been a bit since you uh, locked me in the studio for three hours to rant at me on that, Thompson. What what has been going on them recently? That that's more your research project than mine. Well, this this has been the project that has like spun out of control in, yeah. in many ways. Okay. Tormson, have you ever had a project that was, like, under control? That that did not spin in any sort of way? Look, project scope is a problem that I, 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 can't, I struggle <laughs> with. Um, I, I have high ambitions. My initial idea, based on uh, the hot expose that we did way back in the day... Um, hey, you right did. Up- let's, let's, let's be honest here. That, that, that was your, your Pepe Sylvia thing. I, I was That's just right. smiling and nodding, mostly. That's right. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't the only one, um, that we were sort of working on. I mean, I think you got halfway through your Jeffrey Epstein source book before you, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, I was like, this is kind of tasteless. And then I'll, yeah. Yeah. 
It happens. That's right. Speaking of tasteless, what I've been working on for a while now um, is the idea was to put up a Mac Attacks uh, updated source book onto the Statosphere because I liked Break Today. Break Today is one of my favorite source books. It's probably the most famous and well-received source book for the previous version of the game. See, my understanding of the reputation of it is that it's always been sort of, Mac Attacks has always been sort of the Marmite of Unknown Armies. Uh, sort of. Have, uh, you, have you ever heard anyone who didn't play Unknown Armies even mention any source book besides Break Today? Um. Hmm. Because I've never heard anyone talk about lawyers, guns, money. I've never heard anyone talk about Statusphere or Postmodern Magic. The only Postmodern Magic, e- I, I definitely seen people discuss. Um, okay. Like Mac Attacks is known outside of Unknown Armies. It kind of has that. I would reputation say it's probably the only very, faction. The only faction that anyone could name. They're not going to talk about the sleepers. They're not going to talk about the fucking milk. Se- sect of the Naked Goddess. Everybody um, knows about the sect. They didn't get this. They, they never got a yeah, split book. They never got a split book. Yeah, exactly. My understanding is that it was kind of like a love it or hate it sort of deal compared to, you know, stuff like Statusphere is all your stuff on the weird cosmology, which people are pretty into. And then far I fucking as, hate that, though. far as faction focused stuff goes, um, you know. Lawyers, Guns, and Money, your classic fucking, like, weird occult mafia shit, which a lot of people are into that are in Unknown Armies, and... This goes back to, like, the difficulty of explaining what Unknown Armies <laughs> is. We, we we failed, as you know, Melon, uh, on nah. your podcast. I maintain yeah. that we did a decent job. Well, so, so the original Mac Attack sourcebook, uh, for those of you listening who, who don't know, because I know that there are people who listen to the show who... There, first of all, I'm pretty sure there are people who listen to the show, but also some of them have not read like all of the second yeah, ed and first yeah. ed books. Magatax was a book from the early 2000s, uh, I think, about a and it was it was is based on the um, the descriptive text in the original Unknown Armies book, second ed, first ed. I think they're in first ed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. It is a a conspiracy that wants to make the world a better place, and their method of doing so is to get jobs at fast food restaurants. In the book, in, in the book, it's very heavily implied to be McDonald's, but they're afraid of lawyers, so they don't actually name it, and use magic to put special charges, magical charges of the type that unknown armies wizards use to carry out spells, into the food and then feed the food to people, and. It's sort of a question mark, question mark, question mark profit situation because the implication is that they're doing all this shit with ley lines to try and control important sites. But then the actual method by which they transmute that into positive vibes is a little more up, open to interpretation. But the basic idea is to make people more accepting of magic by sort of exposing them to it in a hopefully benign fashion. Yep, hopefully. The, the operative word there is hopefully because yeah. uh, those special orders had a lot of shenanigans attached to them well so so the original mac attacks conspiracy was there, there's like a whole rich backstory that i'm gonna be perfectly honest i don't remember very well and don't really care about because it had 90s rpg disease of here is like 30 pages of stuff that happened before the game begins and here's a page of playable information but essentially it was a secret website that was not actually all that secret and that anyone could join and a mostly anarchistic, but at the same time, like all anarchist organizations, secretly controlled by a a small centralized cabal. And they basically, during the, what was it, the True Order of St. Germain's Year 2000 operation, was completely neutered by 
a mag attacks counter strike feeding the uh the essentially the death squads charged hamburgers to give them something called an unhappy meal which is the reverse of a special order a special order is a charged food that makes something nice happen and a happy meal is the opposite of that excuse me, an unhappy meal opposite of that so despite being a group of total fuck-ups, they were able to essentially stop the apocalypse from happening. There was the, the guys had plans to like seize control of nuclear missile sites and do all this other horrible shit, and they couldn't do it. And so everyone was like, oh, Magatex is super cool, they did a good job, you know, they did the Ritual of Light to make the 21st century a good century instead of a really shitty one. And then the majority of them were either killed or forced into hiding in the events of the 03 war. Yeah, that's right. Also known as the Whisper War. It was very quiet and and seemingly timed just after when all the flat books come out. Um, yeah, the second head right after to go. And it it sort of, it's not actually clear whether it was before, after, or coterminous with the big reset. The big reset is a it's a topic we sort of um, wandered around. We haven't really yeah. addressed it entirely. Um, and I'm, can I'm you a, really address uh, it effectively? Skeptic. A a lot of the whole thing with there is just. Some stuff went down. We can't really know yeah. exactly what went down so, by the nature of the so beast. Th- both the big reset and the written the whisper war are part of a trend of RPG authors updating games from the 1990s and early 2000s to the present day. Uh, we saw a similar thing with Delta Green, and the main thing is that they are narrative excuses to clear the playing field of all of the omnipotent, ultra-powerful conspiracies. It was sort of similar to why they did like a new Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem lore, because the old setting had so many, like the apocalypse is right around the corner, there are a million uber-powerful GMPCs and infinite guys and secret conspiracies, and they wanted to sort of reduce the scale of the of the stuff that the players would be encountering in the game rather than having them go up against this world-spanning Majestic 12-type organization. And I think what the issue that people ran into after that was is that in both the, the case of Delta Green and Unknown Armies, I think that the, third edi- that the, the latest edition, Standalone, kind of almost sterilized the game world a bit too effectively. Yeah. And so that's what you, with your book, are trying to de- to address. And that's how we've addressed things in the podcast when we talk about and expand upon ideas. Yeah. Like sort of very limited um, ideas in the third edition books. Because there is a lot to be said about there was a lot of sort of setting bloat in second ed. And I can understand the logic for just like uh, clearing it down. But also, it's, I, it, I feel that you need to replace it. Yes, with, uh, something. that's the big thing. And like, that has clear the playing field. Was yeah. always done. So the yeah. the main purpose of all of this lore was to be evocative enough to make people excited about the game. So that's yes. why we get so many splat books that have so much information that is utterly useless to play, but is interesting to read. It's because realistically, most RPG books will be read and never played. But also because in order to get someone excited about playing a game, you have to get them excited. Well, not just that, too. Like, most of the people that are buying source books, especially source books, well, like, yeah, just buying source books, any book outside of the core rule text are going to be the GMs looking for inspiration of well, some sort. Well, not necessarily, because that is the one thing that I think is super cool about Unknown Armies, is that it is the only game where... But that's that new. I know of. That's it is, new. Yeah, it is, yeah, Unknown Armies Third Ed is one of the only games I know of where somebody who is not the person running the game can see something in a splat book, like not a character build option, but like an NPC or a location, think that's really cool, and then during the world gen process say, we're going to include this. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's true. 
source books in that sense are even more useful for third edition yeah. than your average role playing game because hey this is shit that anyone can choose to include in the game rather than just the GM though the other side of that is one can easily make the excuse of this game doesn't need source books cause you as the GM can just build everything off of what the players come up with yeah and this is where we're getting into the thing I always bitch about with Unknown Armies 3 is that it is pretty demanding in terms of creativity. Yes. And it is demanding in terms of creativity from both the players and GM while also not giving the clearest idea of what is this game about and what are you supposed to do? And that is why I think that the Scottish Rite book and perhaps other books in the series that might be forthcoming afterwards is a really good product because it's not only a bunch of table-ready content for people who already know what the fuck they're doing, it's also a very strong both narrative and mechanical hook for people who are less certain about what it is that they want to put on the corkboard. Because I'll tell you, um, the actual play game that I, that I played it on this show, that was fine. But the Zero Yen game, where Zero Yen is, is, is a different Special Orders guy, but it's, it's sort of what got me interested in this whole project, that was one of the best RPGs I ever played. And it was like much more stimulating in terms of, here's what it is that we're doing, here's why you should care about these characters in this game world. Because I'll be honest, I typically don't care about my character that much in an RPG. And that was one of the few times that I was like, oh, his struggle is my struggle. He is... He's, he is figuratively, and I mean figuratively, me. Well, when we're bringing up zero yen, I guess we should sort of go over like sort of the scope of what this project that we're talking about. Yeah, is yeah exactly. you one is. I've I've heard of whispers of this shit, uh, pun not intended. But what is the scope of this project? What I, I know that you guys are, and one of the reasons that serendipity and uh, providence has deigned to bring uh, Mr. Bread into our orbit at this McDonald's while all the other patrons give us confused looks. Um, it's because... Please, please. M- Mr. Brett is my father. Call me Melonba. All oh, right. <laughs> um, Melonba. And the, the, re- <laughs> uh, the reason that the, all this shit's happened is because you guys are coming out with a uh, McDonald's-focused... Source book in the near future, mm-hmm. correct? In the very near future. Although it, it, I, I have to like, I'm wondering if I should excise the mentions of the actual corporation and just call it Gold Notches as as break today tradition. I I, uh, I I don't think they're gonna give a shit, dude. I think it's too late, dude. Do you really want to go and do another full editing pass after? It, it, it was doing it, like it's of- mostly just your bits that have McDonald's written there. I never used the word. I mean, you could censor them out. Like, like that's a decent bit, but. Uh, it, like, don't put in work for something that will have dubious reward, which... Uh, okay, okay. I, I, yeah, yeah. The McDicks lawyers are not going to give a shit. Okay, let us let's let me describe to the listeners here what, yeah, what, what, what we're talking about. Yeah, what's going on? What else is coming out? Why should I buy I, the hypothetical uh, listener slash uh, potential customer, purchase your product? You should purchase it to support... Thompson's lifestyle. But I hate Thompson. Why should I give him money? Sometimes you have to pay for what you hate. Um, That's part of capitalism and communism. I don't know. Anyway, what we've got here is I initially wanted to write a source book for 
Mac attacks, the updated Mac attacks, which was described in third edition, I think, was it book two? Yes, book two, uh, run as having splintered into different, um, fast food outlets, which is the idea that everyone had in the previous, like, 20 years <laughs> now, or 15 years before. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. the, the most obvious idea, but fine. Let's go with it. I mean, and hey, I you can do cool shit with that, though. You can do cool shit with that, though, but yeah, have you? Of course, of course. And that's why it was it was the most obvious and most... It, it, it made the most sense that it would splinter into different uh, franchises. And there are four franchises given in the description of Mac Attacks in Book 2, um, corresponding with McDonald's, Burger King, um, KFC, and Starbucks. Um, and there wasn't a great deal of information given there, and some of them... I didn't like very much, but I, I could use them as springboards. So the idea was I'm going to like explore what all each of these uh, cabals is all about. But then based on um, the episode we did on Mac Attacks and my uh, what's going on in Japan idea, I also had a fifth faction, um, which I called Zero Yen, um, which was very similar to the original Mac Attacks in some ways, but culturally in a different space. Uh, because they went instead of doing because McDonald's in like Asia is doesn't occupy exactly the same like it's there it's very much a presence but doesn't necessarily op- operate in the same cultural uh, position as it does in the West as because if you're gonna get cheap food there's better options in Japan while McDonald's is uh, it's a place people people take dates to McDonald's in Japan because that's that's the, it's culturally appropriate to do that but you wouldn't want to do that in a Western country usually. So I thought that the uh, Shinkansen bento boxes was a more cromulent way to distribute special orders in Japan um, because the Shinkansen could be easily tied to the ley lines of Japan because the Shinkansen runs on old salt trading routes and it all, it all came together. So that was the thing. There was five groups that I was going to write on. The original... You found enough things that sparked a joy, and you're like, okay, I gotta That's include right. that, That's and right. I gotta include that. Okay, fuck, I guess I need to write a source book about this now. Yes, and then the material expanded, um, but at different rates for the, the five different groups, um, and some of them, the Starbucks one gave me more trouble. So eventually, I realized this is too much shit. I've got too much stuff for a source book. I'm going to split this into multiple source books. And now I have one done, mostly. If I remember correctly, you ended up with something that was five or six times the length of the original break today. And that was even with some of the factions not being done yet. Like the Melusinians were basically getting a rework at that time because the original concept that you would come up with was not resonating with people and you personally didn't find it that interesting i was yeah i was okay so that's let's let's go into these five factions so i'll just describe them because this is not going to be about the last the the other four is going to be about the scottish right now yeah. the scottish right is mac attacks updated um mac attack it's basically the same group um but all the leaders are dead except for one um and it's it's basically operating in the sim- very similar modus operandi as the original Mac attacks. It's still based in the Golden Arches. Things are the most uh, familiar to people who know about Mac attacks. But I but would I- say that that part of your challenge, and and one of the reasons I like this book is that the challenge was don't just make it exactly the same. What is the yeah. what is the appeal? Yes, and that took a while to sort of figure out. Well, we'll go into that. 
Actually, should we just stick to the Scottish Rite only here for this podcast? G- g- I think g- we can just, give te- us just brief te- overview. Tease the other, tease yeah. the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So you got you got your Scottish Rite, which is your. It's not your plain vanilla faction. We'll get into why it's 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 different from the original and what the exciting features are. But it's the most similar to the to the original pattern. You have the Court of the Burger Queen, which was teased in the original book as Erica Fisher. A member of the old Macatax conspiracy has essentially turned the whole operation to an avatar cult, and so there are lots of avatar cults in the world. Uh, the most famous one being a uh, naked goddess, and like that one, the challenge there was answering the question: Why would someone go and work for this person? What makes being the court of the Burger Queen more appealing than Scottish Rite, given that it's even more like corporate bullshit, authoritarian? And so that is one that it was I, I think is is one of the coolest transformations that it underwent during the um, the writing process. Uh, well, what do you think was the what was the hook that got you that convinced you that it was? Um, let's it started out guys guys let's let's try to focus on right because now we're going on a huge fucking. Okay. Well, no 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 we, we we decided to like that the moment uh, to I, I say that we was two giving, minutes ago. Yeah, okay, I thought okay, we were okay, just giving okay. a fucking brief overview of these. Now we're going to fucking the, the thing, ten minutes. The thing that stage. I like about it. All right, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll save this for the for the upcoming uh, thing. Uh, there is the Colonel's Secret Coterie, and I do think you should stick with that name. I'll get into it in a second. Colonel's Secret Coterie in the original book was just they want to give the police superpowers, which is not. I think most people most people who play this game do not are not going to find that a super sympathetic objective. But more to the point, even if you believe it's a good idea, it's not that much fun to give other people power. It's like basically, hey, my objective is to cock myself out of super out of superhuman abilities and give them to other people. Nah, fuck that. The the Colonel's Secret um, Secret Coterie in the upcoming book is basically uh, what if it was the Global Liberation Society, but we have a positive affect towards it instead of negative? Like, what if what if some people, the lesson they learned from the Whisper War was, fuck them, next time we're going to shoot back? Which is, a, that's, in that's my it. opinion, a completely reasonable lesson to learn for when you play nice and then someone sends assassins to your restaurants is next time we're going to kill them because they've shown that us playing by the rules will not spare us. That's it, because I wanted to tie in both the... Because in the book, in book two, they mentioned that they give out, um, hand out special orders to cops and yeah. military veterans. And I was I was thinking on that. I'm just like, cops make sense because in a way that... Like, the idea, the lesson of the Whisper War was that mundane violence can fuck with your magical fucking revolution because gun trumps spell. Um, so have gun and spell... Um, and the military veterans ended up being people that recruited into this paramilitary magical organization, while the cop thing is complex. Yeah, basically, there's this idea of using special orders to manipulate and control the mundane authority figures, or to kind of co-opt them in the same way that uh, law enforcement in some countries acts alongside basically paramilitaries or militias and uh the the part that i that i was pushing really hard but have kind of backed off on as a central element i think should be more of a side a side gig is that there's a faction within the coterie that uh is like much more kind of explicitly revolutionary in a mundane sense that we call the colonel's secret cadre uh 
it's I think I think this began when I was like, yo, you you should make a character who's a Georgian bank robber, just like Stalin. And you were like, fine, I'll do it. And then that guy, that guy, that guy becomes the primary exponent of Marxism, Leninism, Colonel Sanders thought. That's right. Which is not the only, I didn't want it to be, because it was, at one point it was looking, it was trying to take over uh, the the CSC. And I was like, no, no, this is going to be a, this is going to be a side. This is going to be an aspect, but not necessarily the only one. But I think that, I think that, that terminologically, the coterie should be the main one. And the cadre is a, is refers to the specific internal faction. And so that, that's another one that I, I think is super fun. I, I've, um, I was all excited to make like the list of pregens and so on, and uh, get, into the, get into that another time. And then uh, tell tell us about the Melisinians because this is the one that I think went underwent the biggest transformation. Because the Melisinians was a kind of a hard one to sort of grok because the the description of them was they were like trying to get power for themselves by handing out special orders to like the lawyers and like rich people and control them it was specifically a coffee-based ritual that if someone asked you for a bitter drink you could put a charge in it that would allow the allow you to control their thoughts and so they went to the they went to all the state capitals in the world and started getting jobs at starbucks so that they could influence people that's right and i've sort of kept that element as expanded upon it but the Melosidians are—they are a wannabe Illuminati. They want to basically take control through, like, yeah, tricked-up coffee cups. Um, but they are—I wanted them to be. Originally, they were very like hierarchical and more. They were—they were, they were a pyramid scheme up. originally. They were a pyramid yes. scheme that everyone participated in, knowing it was a pyramid scheme because they thought they'd be the one to kill their seniors and get to the top. That's right, and I—I I started realizing like it, it was too much. It was too much of a villain faction. Like it was, there was a lot of pushback in terms of playing it, um, and I thought, no, we can adapt this, make it a bit more sympathetic, but also fucked up in the edges. Um, so now it is, it's it's more like I don't even. It's I st- it's still hard for me to describe what the Melodians are. I, w- I would I would I would call it I would call it um, a demarchy with light elements. What the of, fuck is a demarchy? It's the concept that. Any form, it's 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 uh, depend depending on who you ask, it's a uh, democratic anarchism, or in the specific sense that I'm thinking of, it's the type that the type of society where you have many different forms of government at a local level, only united by the fact that they engage in some form of participatory democracy. Gotcha. Basically, no, 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 no. One, a, a democracy is a sortition based system rather than like it's it's like when you're chosen by lot. Now, that's my understanding of democracy. It's how I use I, it. I, so so the the thing that I think really <laughs> this this did not actually solve the problem because I think I think that that's not how I'd say it but at the same time I I don't think that um it it it's clear that we're not <laughs> we've 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 uh, kind of turned over a, a different stone here the thing that you did that really tied the faction together is this idea that they have three or four different sort of quasi hive mind systems of communication that they use. There's the there's the concept of of anarchism while at the same time being bound together through a network of magical proxies, and then there are the different forms of shared communication, like the 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 one where you take over the other guy's hand and make him write stuff, or the shared mind palace that anyone can vandalize if they have a strong enough willpower. Yeah, my understanding of the Melisinians from you know being in the playtest for them is they're they're less of like a, a their structure is less analogous to a government and more analogous to like a subculture mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like a subculture of a cult 
occulted strivers, basically, like people that want to be successful. And they want to achieve that success through entering the uh, halls of power in, like, secret influential positions. And they're kind... Like many subcultures, there's a few kind of high-up charismatic figures that the group kind of orbits around. And because of their proximity to each other, they'll share resources and advice and have, like, a shared... Places of congregation online and in person. I think a part of like some of the feel of Melissinians may have been inspired by this um, non-anti-Semitic uh, Jewish joke I heard many years ago um, that stuck in my head um, about two Jewish guys reading newspapers uh, on a bench. And one of them looks over to the other one and sees that he's reading like a Nazi newspaper. He's reading the Daily Stormer. Oh yeah, Daily Stormer. Yeah, and he's like, "Why? Why are you reading that? What the hell?" And he's like, "Well, I always, I usually read the normal, like the New York Times, but it was just always bad news, always terrible things happening in the world. But I picked this up, and apparently, we control Hollywood and the and the government and everything. It's all good news." I was also reading about um, how on the, the the libs at the moment uh, sort of say that every conspiracy is essentially just a different version of anti-Zionism or anti uh, sorry anti-Semitism rather, which I think there is some per- historical precedent for that and examples such as like uh, David Icke just basically copy pasting Jewish overlord for lizard overlord and that's fair enough, but I don't think it's all about that. But my in my pushing back against that. I started uh, looking into, like, what would you do if you wanted to build a conspiracy, if you wanted to make a conspiracy? And the problem with the Illuminati stuff is it's too powerful, but it's an interesting goal to sort of take over the world in that way. And that's sort of what I decided to give to the Melissinians is the idea of they're looking at all the the conspiracy conspiracy, uh, thinking out there that, like, they are controlling everything. And they realize that they doesn't exist, but they should, and they'll be us. I mean, this is going to make them sound extremely unappealing, but kind of the thing that they most remind me of is sort of the weird sort of subculture surrounding, like, cryptocurrency and shit. That would be a good analogy, yeah. Where, yeah, like I said, there's, like, all these, like, charismatic personalities that people are trying to get the attention of, and those charismatic personalities will in turn lend their resources to people they find interesting enough. And yes. there, there's yes. this sort of shared camaraderie built often around the sense that in some um, implacable way, we are better than the average person. And thus we need to work together. Magic lends itself to fostering a sort of aristocratic conservatism yes. among magic users. <laughs> Absolutely. This belief that we are this Gnostic elite oppressed by normies who will kill us if they discover our power. We are better than yet them, and yet we are forced to take shit off them. And mm-hmm. the Melissinians are a way of a kind of expressing that impulse in a way that has a positive affect towards it rather than the very unflattering portrait that I just painted. In a less right. centralized way than most. Uh, historical presidents for that sort of group. Yeah, because because one of the core tenets of their belief system is we should is the radical idea that wizards should not be killed by normal people for having powers. They ultimately share a goal that most magic users who are not cringing Uncle Tom's share. The only people who want to keep magic secret are people who benefit from having a monopoly on it. And 
That's the that's the the shared ideological undercurrent of all of the different special orders factions. Exactly. It was also inspired a bit by like reading about the actual historical Illuminati and how it was yeah. like just a bunch of young guys that want that um believed in uh enlightenment thought and were anti-monarchist and anti-clerical um but they were secret and organized so they got blamed for everything for the next 300 years actually the millicinians are kind of in that same sort of boat they want to they have different ideas of making the world a quote-unquote better place um and one thing that works with all the factions is they all have like a, a sort of vaguely defined idea of what the magical revolution is and what it will look like afterwards they all they share a common belief that the magical revolution will happen and that Makatex is going to lead the magical revolution but they all think no our faction is clearly the one that's going to lead the magical revolution um with the melsinians great afterwards with the Mel, with the melsinians putting a lot of emphasis on the revolution will not be televised sort of idea because in the original break today there was mentions of different factions within um, and there was a faction that was very much very arrogant in that sort of like we are better than normies but there was also a uh, mention of um, what the magical revolution would be afterwards and some people in old Makatex believing that after the magical revolution everyone will have some magical power of some kind and everyone will be able to um, self-actualize and in many ways like the Melisinians are the sort of synthesis of those two different ideas they are a gnostic like there are a bunch of elitist gnostics but they also believe that in after the magical revolution everyone will be elitist gnostics like them for me the thing that crystallized like why i don't hate this faction was the dude who basically so basically the issue with anarchism is that it always gets blown up by some asshole with a government and so I was thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, if everyone had super weapons, then that wouldn't happen because there'd be no way to oppress the individual without getting annihilated. And so what if there was a dude who was like, hey, I'm going to do some magical research to ensure that super empowering spells are available to all people so that that way there'll be no possibility of coercion. And that for me was a much more kind of sympathetic presentation of the philosophy because it is something that is astoundingly stupid, but I also unironically believe that that is the only circumstance under which it could actually work. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, this is all my thoughts when I'm like attracted to the areas of, uh, anarchist or even libertarian thought where I'm just like, actually, I agree with lots of this on like a, on, in a, in a, on an emotional level or a philosophical level, but in practicality, it's not going to work. But with magic, with magic, all things are possible. You already explained, uh, the basics of, of Zero Yen, uh, which is an organization that I, like because it on the exterior it is sort of the most harmless and benign of the five but mm -hmm. is well i'm not gonna do a bunch of spoilers here and also the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these are still under development to a certain degree that's true they're a lot more uh developed than they were um and this what became the issue because i realized that this would not be uh this would it wouldn't come out it would just be a slowly expanding project um unless i sort of demarcated it to different books um because i realized i had more the scottish right had the most fully developed material there was enough for a source book so i put it all together um and it was very much a, a process of like two steps forward one step back because there was various problems with formatting and various like problems with me deciding oh, i'm going to change this i'm going to change this i'm going to change this um but eventually 
like perfection is the enemy of done. So um, I have it is almost completed. This one source book out of the five that are allegedly going to appear. I I, I give no promises. This is all <laughs> vaporwave. We're vaporware. Not making any commitments. Uh, <laughs> I am I am committing except for to this one. Committing. Except for this one. I I'm only saying that because. I want it to come out, and it's it's ready to come out. Well, not ready, but it will be ready soon, hopefully. Uh, but I don't. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot guarantee. You have things. you have the layout finished, pending final revisions and copy editing, which is, I mean, basically, if you spend ten hours writing content and one hour layouting, you have spent one hour making a book. That's right. Yeah. Because layouting is the fucking worst. It really is. It it it's annoying. So now, now that we've spent 45 minutes getting to the point where we can discuss the topic of this episode and... Um, All the customers of this McDonald's are so fucking confused right now. Well, they better be, because I, I wanted to uh, talk about the product that is actually most likely to get released. And uh, the one... I, so I've... I've uh, I've alluded to earlier. I've I've sent stuff in for I think all five of these books at this point, and also designed my own uh, custom six faction that may someday see the light of the day. Uh, perhaps not for similar reasons to why uh, the other books are kind of up in the air. But uh, I sent in a bunch of stuff for Scottish Rite. It was really cool to see my stuff get layouted and uh, I guess illustrated, quote unquote, without me having to lift a finger. Why? Why the quote-unquote behind the illustration? Tormson, you want to go to this, or should I? Well, I don't know because I, I I've used the combination of like AI-generated images and like ra- and like combinations of pictures, and I don't know. It's it's the the, the, the art direction is is. is I think is, it looks it, fucking cool. The main reason I put quotes around it is that if I was that desperate to get mid-journey pictures of my shit, I could probably just generate them myself. But what I like is that it does. I think have a I don't know they're, they're, I, I do I do like the um, the the flavor that sort of emerged from this combination of it's not just mid journey it's also the other one of those other generators that you used oh yeah yeah, yeah because I used Dali there's, there's, there's a visual stylistic difference yes I don't know I think I mean I think that in in like maybe a few months or a year every like indie RPG book is going to look like this oh, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. we're slightly ahead of the curve hey I like I, I ironically like it I think it looks good and maybe we should just lay out what is what is in the book because we we went into a big a big discussion earlier about like how it updates the setting and so on but i think the best part is that it gives as much like lore and backstory as is necessary for context and then the rest mm-hmm. of it is actual stuff that you can use in a game yeah i didn't want to give too but i i like my lore dumps and i like generating lore and i like reading lore uh, I was definitely one of those people that bought fucking. I bought so many RPG books that I never played. I just read them, and I was like, "What are these? I don't want to read these rules. Just get me to the law." Uh, that's why I just <laughs> buy these for the presentation of the ideas. Yeah, and I and I do like the Unknown Army setting. It took me a long time to come to that point, but I do I do like the world. I uh, I did read one of the tie-in novels. I read Godwalker. It seemed like there was more after that, but okay. No, that's it. That's the only one I read. I, I was thinking about reading the other one that uh, came out in like 2017, but... Uh, you, the one written in second person? Yeah, but I, I, I haven't got around to it yet. I got a, too much stuff on the pile. That's fair. So, in developing the lore, I did want to sort of keep it... 
I, I was basing a lot of things on things that are like random mentions of things I saw in break today. And it's a very similar process that we use to come up with ideas for the podcast episodes where like looking at something and seeing and like, what could, how could we expand upon this or how can we reinterpret this? I did want to like do the same thing as the developers do in terms of like clearing things of old NPCs. And it was easy with the Whisper War because I was like, okay, this, these characters all disappeared, um, or dead. But I did yeah, want to have. There were a also character- just a lot of people who were old when the original source yep. book came out in the in the nineties. Like right. not the original, not the not the Maga textbook, but like the original Unknown Armies book in the nineties. People who were already in like fifties and sixties then, and oh, like, know, now like the fruit who 90s. was already old as hell, yeah. Yeah, the, the people who realistically would have just died of heart disease or something. Well, the fun thing about dealing with wizards is they can live as long as you really want them to, for the purposes of your fictional endeavor. They can live forever while trapped in an infinite loop. Yeah. Doing the same thing over and over again. And then when they die, it's like, oh, they fucking have uh, pulmonary embolism or they, uh, they're they changing a light bulb and slip out of the stool and break their neck. So, yeah, That's you right. basically have carte blanche to like, oh, okay, I know what I can do with this guy. He's still alive. I don't know what to do with this guy. All right, he died in some uh, hilariously mundane way. But one of the important things for me was to choose, like, who was going to be the main leader? Who's going to be the one who carried the torch forward? Um, and I eventually settled on Monica Barbary, who was in the second ed, one of the GMCs included in the second ed book um, about uh, Mac attacks, because I found references to her um, being considered for leadership and, like, um, at various points. Um, and having decided on her... Um, it sort of changed the way I was like it. It influenced the law in the sense that she's a cleomancer, and that changes things. That changes um how things are operating. And she's based in New York, um, which meant that I that became part of the law as well. Um, and in various ways that I'm not going to spoil too much of, um, the fact that Monica Barbary was in charge, um, and the description of her both abilities and her sentiments and her personality sort of defined how I approached some of the, 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 the developing of the law. And that was helpful because it gave some specificity to it. But then I developed a whole bunch of other NPCs to go along with it to hang on to that previously developed NPC. I don't know how much, how in detail I want to get here, but how in detail should we get here with like, the history or whatever probably not i think i think i think that there's a ton of stuff that you could dig into same with the sleepers about what does it mean to have a conspiracy run by the cleomancer and how much of the organization's fictional history can you actually trust i think that Mm. that episode you guys already did and yeah but on in the harmonious propose episode so instead of that let's um save save stuff for the readers would be my advice let let people discover the shit themselves when they purchased the book, when I played in the in the Zero End game, I got really excited about like the whole rest of the project, and so I actually went and read all the stuff that you had been posting for months before that, but that I had never seen. And I am so 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 glad that I actually attended that game because I was I was real close to being like a little piss baby when the time got changed and I wasn't paying attention and not coming. <laughs> but I'm really happy that I did, and. Uh, so I, I went and I, I, you know, over the, the next few months, I wrote a bunch of stuff like NPCs and things like that, tried to keep it towards things that were like 
useful, but also like peripheral, so other people wouldn't have to write around them. So like you wouldn't have to slot a guy into a a, a major plot point or whatever. It was a ton of fun. I I can like I don't I don't really want to like go go like line by line, but uh, some of the NPCs, uh, one of the safe Happy New Year contest entries, uh, some artifacts. We should talk. Okay, I want to bring up uh, safe and Happy New Year contest because. Oh, yeah. That was a con- like I that was an idea that struck okay, let's, me. Okay, let's start from the l- let's kind of go through this from the book. As far as like, what are the developments that Macatax has gone through in the past couple decades? Like, what are the big changes that distinguish the right from old school Macatax? Well, the biggest thing was the Whisper War. Um, no, I'm not talking about just what yeah. happened. I'm talking about how they operate nowadays. They operate. I don't know. Um, I was about to go into it, but okay. The image um, say is important. Yeah, because the okay in the the way it because the reason I want to okay I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, so the original Magatex <laughs> used a used a like a BBS, and it, I think and yeah, IRC. That's RC and BBS. that's fine. I don't was it, it no? You know you're right. It was a, it was just a mailing list. But but anyways, they they it would had. Like very um, weak security, it was infiltrated by all factions. And to be honest, the replacement is not that much better, but it's still pretty cool. Basically, to get in now, you go through you 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 get a browser that has a Flash emulator, since present day browsers don't support Flash because it's it's outdated and filled with vulnerabilities. You go to this. URL perform the correct operation of a of a cheeseburger in this shitty flash game and you get into the uh to the anon board and that's a uh isn't it like you said it was like a fork of two channel or something or it was it was yeah it was based so it's basically uh it looks like old school 4chan but not evil um it's the idea well, it's, was it's that- it's more accurate to say that old school 4chan looked like it because this in the fictional world this is a 2003 development which is predates the 04 founding of the site that's right there was it was derived from the the japanese image board trend and it was something that was um developed because people on the mac attacks board wanted it but a lot of people didn't want it because they were happy with the way things were but then the when the whisper war happened and fucked it all up it was something that they that monica could easily just turn on um, and use as a replacement, um, or uh, not not necessarily a replacement because she she maintained the old um, email list, but an email list in the 2010s and 2020s, um, and even the 2000s, like it became increasingly less useful because people don't use email anymore. One of the big issues with the original website was that people having constant stable identities on the on the board made it very easy for enemies of the conspiracy to just hunt them down and kill them in real life. Like right, there was a right. guy with a gun from the Global Liberation Society or whatever the fuck it was called at the time, just going around and shooting people in the head who worked for Mac Attacks because he would just go on the website, he'd control F for like street and like find your address. And so the idea with the new one was that if you give people like an anonymous platform where they can voluntarily post enough detail to have their questions and queries for help answered in that specific moment, then you won't have this problem of stable identities being very easy to track by an outmember person outside the organization. The issue that they found is the same as every um, as every image board, which is that the trend towards attention whoring causes people to nonetheless develop stable entities over the course of posting. 
and yes. therefore be easy to track. There's not trip codes, if I remember correctly, though. I don't know because I don't remember. I, I was so I'll, I'll be straight with you. I was like nine in no, I was ten in two thousand three. No, so. I'm, I'm saying if I remember correctly from reading the source book, you know, in the last couple of days, uh, it specifically says okay. that it does not have trip code functionality. Okay, because I because I I was gonna say I wasn't alive. I was alive in two thousand three, but I wasn't posting in two thousand three because I was ten years old. I don't know if Tooch supported or supports. Yeah, I don't think it did. Okay, uh, pretty sure it didn't. For those of you not familiar, secure trip code is the ability to on a I think it's what a Futaba style image board put a uh, a hash into a or put a put a passcode into a a field that then generates a hash after the post. And so if you use that same password for every post, people will know it's you every time, and not just some other guy who typed your temporary username into the username field. Yeah. It's considered contra to the spirit of anonymous image board posting because it's basically trying to make the whole damn thing like a forum, but people do it anyways, either because they want attention or also because they are creating a thread for a specific purpose, like they're doing like a a choose-your-own-adventure style thread, or uh trying to like share pieces of pirated media and they want to ensure that it's it's obviously them when they post each link stuff like that basically in With, image board um, culture uh a I, uh, having an identity is a privilege not a right yeah although it's fascinating how the thing that the thing that most people don't understand until they they take a look is how much groupthink and conformity there is on a completely anonymous website. Yes. You'd think that when people were freed of any consequences for saying stuff, they would feel free to go against the grain of group opinion. But if anything, it is exactly like the same board would be on like something awful, which is a website that suffers from the absolute worst of like anyone is of like if you 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 know you have like three general threads and if you go against the board consensus by posting like actually I didn't really enjoy 4E you better be prepared for like 20 pages of arguments and that is it's what's astounding is how the same thing will happen on a website where there is no reward and no punishment for towing the line yeah yeah you will never face any consequences for saying you're stating your stupid opinion and yet people are still afraid it's amazing it, it, it really is like a genuinely cool an interesting sociological experiment. We live in a society, Jerry. The, yeah, the panopticon is truly, you know, we've internalized it. Now, the, now the, the the reason why the the Anon list is it's, it may or may not be important, but the reason why it might be is that for each of the factions, you've tried to figure out how could their like how could the form of communications that they use and their their social organization impact play? Yeah, and I've really appreciated that. That's always been good stuff. It, it helps I'm just kind of interested in that sort of shit, generally speaking, but it's, yeah, like it, it's directly relevant to play and it also is a very good diegetic way of conveying what the culture of these various factions are like. For example, um, so the right uses the anonymous image board. Um, the court uses an app um which provides a lot of stuff but it's it, it's much more of the sort of um what's the word fenced garden approach to uh modern web design because they're a corporate monarchist conspiracy um the coterie uses is it's much more military military and hierarchical and doesn't mess around with social media of any kind too much um it, it's a it's a phone call or it's a, it's a delivery yeah, they used to they used to operate on a number of closed Facebook groups, but 
once Facebook started getting a little more serious about prosecuting like calls for genocide and stuff, they had to take those down. That's right. But only but only the English language ones. I'm sure the uh, the because they don't bother to moderate any, any other language. Typical. Um, there's and then the Milosidians have the the proxy network, which is it's it's a bit of a combination of uh, YouTube and Twitch and um, a bunch of other things, but like run in people's minds. Uh, while Zero Yen. They have their own thing going on. They, they're more. Uh, well, uh, we, I have to work on that for zero again. But anyway, to get back to Mac attacks, this while like developing the culture of the image board, um, I was also thinking about how the issue was. I wanted to keep things quite similar to how it was in the nineties. But in terms of the timeline, if I put Monica Barbary in charge, I didn't. I wanted to keep her in charge. I didn't want to have like multiple errors of leadership because it's. It's just too much, like, unnecessary law. So I still wanted her in charge, but then the question was, like, Mac attacks under Derek Jackson pulled off the Safe and Happy New Year uh, project. Um, so what had been done in between? What had Monica done? And, like, what had she done um, that was similar? And at the start, I was like, okay, she's a bit more conservative because she saw what happened in the Whisper War, and she's starting to feel bad about, like, the fact that she hasn't pulled off something like the Safe and Happy New Year project in the 20 years of, well, almost 20 years of her being in charge. And I've still got that as an element, but then I came upon the idea of why not have a yearly contest on the, uh, on onboard where different cabals will compete over. And this is another, this is bad for OPSEC, of course. Um, of course. But it is. But all good, good play for, is, really, isn't it? Every good campaign that's is bad it. for. <laughs> Every good, every decent yes. objective has shitty OPSEC baked into it. So the idea would be that every year, um, the members of the uh, Scottish Rite of Mac Attacks would compete on the on, on the unknown board to pull off some stunt or event or project that would um, either help lead to the magical revolution or just generally make the world a better place. Um, and that created uh, instantly in my head it created an interesting dynamic because it was something that was very relevant to play because that you could just be like it's a very easy sort of um objective for a cabal is just like okay you're 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 pl- you're you're competing in the contest you want to make the world a better place and a more magical place what are you going to do um and that's fun something i was a little bit disappointed by when i was reading uh the most recent draft um, was that there was no examples given for winners of previous years? I, yeah, I was gonna have that. I could add that actually. Um, just give I some, think yeah. that you should just just declare that the um, the one with the servants is the winner. Just just use the one you already have, and then say that the um, the corpses go home was not a winning entry. Okay. Yes, that's a good idea. Well, let it, like, uh, you know, just a, a few snippets, of... like a few snippets of like a single line, single sentence description of this is what they pulled off. Yeah. All right. All right. If you're I'll willing to do it, if you're willing to do it, if not, cut this part of the episode out entirely. No, I mean, so, so Frank, what I'm saying is that this no, needs to be done in a way that yeah. adds a minimal amount of content because this, if the, when the book's already been layouted, adding yes. stuff means having to move yes. stuff around. I'm whereas just well saying like winning entry is one line. Yeah, that's true. But I'm greedy and want more than one example. One, one, one. But uh, you don't you finish your fucking book. What to do, and you got one of what not to do. So uh, there are three examples of safe and happy New Year project 
the Safe and Your contest entries, um, one by Kate, one by Bellin, and one by me. So what else do you want, Frank? Uh, examples of winning years, of previous winning years. Yeah, all right. I, 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 that's something I was sort of planning to do. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can I've, do. Again, if it, like, this thing's already fucking laid out. Uh, do not let my bitching and uh, my last-minute suggestions uh, in any significant way influence your decision of what or what not to include in this book. Because uh, if I was talking, if I wanted to make suggestions, I probably should have made them like six fucking months ago. But Frank, I, I think this is good, though, because you are the first person to read this book who was not involved at all in its creation. I was involved a little bit very early on, like Thompson was sending me, like as he was like really drafting this stuff up originally, um, and like had released like 50 of his little articles and many NPCs and shit, he was sending them to me, Yeah, and I was... It, 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 it was part of the ritual of writing. Yeah, uh, it was. I was. I was knowing because I was sending you too much stuff to read. Uh, but yeah. it was part of the ritual of writing. I'd be like, it was the end point where I'd be like, okay, I finished with this for today. I send it to Frank. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how I've been with with the one I'm working on right now. Uh, Frank, let me put it like this: you were the first person to read it who did not contribute any of the items in the book. Yes, that is definitely correct. And yeah, like. We've discussed this a little bit of like, yeah, I'm, I have a certain critical distance from it that is useful. Uh, and I wish I had implemented my critical distance of this before it was <laughs> as deep into layout as it is. Okay, but, but, but that's one thing is that, is that you like this, the safe Happy New Year's and want more attention paid to that. What else did you come across when reading let's that save this for a bit later because I, I mean okay I, if you want i can add this stuff i can pipe up once in a while and be like hey here's stuff that i wish was included but like there's a no, few it's things not, not, I have not, in not, mind. not just stuff that you you wish that was included but also stuff that that you wanted to talk about that you did see in there oh because... yeah no i definitely want to talk about that uh i guess Tormson, since you're the one that has to edit this and also this is your uh your project primarily. Um, how do you want me to discuss this sort of shit? Well, we could sort of go through, like, what is going to be in this book? What do we have? What have I prepared? Yeah, that, that, that's. I thought that's what we've been doing. I hope that's what we've been doing. Yeah. But it's sort of like a... It will More systematic away. fashion. Yeah, fair. Yeah, go yeah. for it. So, okay. So, I've divided it into different sections. Um, so, there's one uh, section about law and how the Scottish Rite operates. Um, covering recruitment and internal divisions and communications, all these things that we've touched on, and the identity of being in Mac attacks, which I have changed um, for each of these because in Break Today they introduced the Mac attacks identity as um, something that you have as, 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 as a skill. It was a skill originally, and originally I was going to have it as an identity, but I realized in building NPCs it became a hassle to give every NPC and try to figure out, like, oh, how many points in fucking Mac attack. So how many points in Scottish Rite am I giving this NPC? Oh man, all these NPCs have like, are, is every player going to have to spend points on this? Um, so instead, um, it started off with the court um, and it's expanded, eventually expanded to all of them in different ways. Um, so the Scottish, the, the, the Mac attack's identity with all its um, special functions such as being able to identify who was a good person to give a special orders to and identify like what the uh, the the Mac attacks hive mind wants you to do. That is going to take the slot of a one of your relationships, um, and this is a tricky way of 
dealing with the, the, the three system as is. I like it though. It's it's a good way of making it so that you have mechanics tied to that group identity that don't cost from your like starting point total. It is an excellent place to put it because relationships. I find that most people can think of about three of them, and then the other two they just crowbar something into the empty slots. So having empty, given given that most people weren't using all five anyways during care gen. Yeah, that's it. And it was really helpful during playtesting when it wasn't clear where I was gonna like I wasn't clear what I was doing. Um, when I was playing when I was playtesting uh, the Scottish Rite game. Um, and I'd come up with the identity, but I had, I wasn't, I was still iffy of where I would put it. Um, and then I was just like, just, just roll your, just roll the identity you have with Scottish Right. And it was just easier, um, and convenient. And I think that's, it's the way it's going to be. Um, what else we have here is I've included a bunch of GMCs who work for, uh, Mac Attacks, uh, rather Scottish Right, um, uh, Mac Attacks. Um, similar in Break Today, there was a bunch of, um, NPCs. Register monkeys and the upper echelon and all that. So I've included all that um, in a break today like fashion. And one thing that I like that you've you've done is you've included reasons why player characters might interact with the leadership of the faction. Because yep. my my personal feeling is that most characters like that in RPGs are just included, given the understanding that they'll never actually appear in game. But we have reasons to talk to to Cedric and to to Monica and to all these other guys. I wouldn't say it's with the assumption that they won't appear in game, but a lot of '90s RPG design was kind of written with the assumption that, like, okay, it is your job as the GM to come up with these excuses, rather than uh, our job as the writers to help the creative process along. And what you guys have done, which I really appreciate, is make some of those excuses baked into the character descriptions, which is incredibly useful for any GM looking to use material from this book. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and GMs can also, like, even be, if, like, if a player has read this book, as we were mentioning before, they could just be like, I'm going to put Cedric Savishin on the board. I'm going to put um, uh, Gregory Epperson on the board, and it makes it um, easy to include. I've also got a bunch of other smaller organizations that attach to back attacks, either in a positive or negative way. I've, I've there is an extensive back attacks India, which 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 grew, which grew a lot when um, Melon built did some NPCs. Yeah, I was running a game called um, so my my six faction that I created in about a week uh, in response to playing um, in the Zirian game is called the Brethren of the Curb, and it's a food truck piracy-based faction. But uh, when I ran the playtest game for them, uh, I think it was um, it was Tormson who was like, I want to put... Ma-. He did the thing that I was talking about earlier. He was like, I want to put Mac Attacks India on the board. So we put Endemic Spice on the board. I was like, all right, I'll do three guys. And I basically just went with three images that I had in my head for characters. And... Then I was like, okay, well, then I have to give them stat blocks and special powers and stuff. And then I was like, well, I got these guys already done. So, and you had already created the two Makatex uh, India NPCs, which were the uh, the leadership guy and then like the Indian intelligence services guy who was coming after him. Um, so now we had like a whole bunch of NPCs. So Makatex India developed, which was uh, sort of unexpected, but I wanted to keep that aspect of which you saw in Break today with a couple of NPCs and mentions of uh, the international aspect of Mac attacks. Yeah, it all it, 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 it worked. I'm personally fond of the Kumurites and uh, Cronus Beauty and Barber. Oh yes, uh, because yeah, the Kumurites came out of the idea that because the 
the treatment of Janet Kumya in the the original Splat book is like what happened to her. It's a mystery. Let's make a religion out of this. You can make a religion out of this, and I did. And then <laughs> the Chronos Beauty and Butter Shop was um, an attempt to like tie it into the idea of Mac attacks being based in New York, and that was something we didn't really mention is like. New York as magical wasteland is is now gone in this in the Torm canon. Um, I New kind York of city is now get why they did it in the nineties because fucking every occult RPG and its dog had a New York splat book. So Anunnaki's want to sure. be like, all oh, right, nah, nothing happens in New York. Aha, that's our but contrarian countertake to it. Even the book Hush Hush that was the sleeper yeah. book had had elements that were set in New York. There were a couple of sample adventures like the Biblio- the War of the Bibliomancers where they were in, in New York. So I get why they did it loosely, but honestly, just like, okay, like don't just knock p- potential pieces off the board. Develop them in interesting ways, which I think you've done. It helped with uh, writing some of the other lore up because um, the fact that the Cleomancers had put... The fact that, sorry, the Sleepers had put... Um, Thormophages inside all these monuments um, meant that as soon as those creatures were gone, there's some tasty, tasty major charges there. And giving Monica Barbary a bunch of major charges in like 2003, 2004 to help manage the Whisper War and the takeover made things a lot easier. It's like, why does no one remember that there was a ter- there was a whole bunch of terrorist attacks outside uh, McDonald's in 2003 when people first started to have te- camera phones and the U.S. had just had a major terrorist attack two years ago. Why is no one talking about that? Well, Monica did some snip snip. Listen, some 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 crazy shit went down during the events of Flight to Heaven. We we don't talk about it. <laughs> we don't talk about Flight to Heaven. Yeah, yeah. When when that guy said it as the terrorist, things things just got kind of nuts for a while. Well, so here here's the thing: is everyone's like, "Oh, Greg Strolzy predicted all this stuff." I mean, hadn't there already been like guys who flew? planes into buildings yes, and people yes, who blew up the World yes, Trade Center? absolutely. It's just... There was, wasn't there that there guy in attempt- Japan who flew the plane into the Lockheed Martin guy's house? Yeah, but that, was, that wasn't that a commercial aircraft. That was just like a pri- small, like, private aircraft. Every, every, every aircraft is commercial when you're paid to commit a terrorist attack unit by the Yakuza. All right. Was he paid? I don't know. <laughs> no. Wait, wait, wait. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Are you telling me that Yakuza did 9-11? He, no, 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 no. He was he was um, the the porn star who flew the plane to the guy's house. He was paid in exposure, baby. <laughs> nice. All right. Because there it. was yeah there was the attempt to bomb uh, World Trade Center in ninety three or ninety two. Yeah, yeah, but that was a more um, traditional. The, the yeah, that was a more traditional. Like, yeah. truck. Yeah. It was it was it was, was that before or after the federal building in Oklahoma? Uh, that was after Oklahoma. Was, before, I believe. Oh, was it? Okay, okay probably copycat. No, no, no. What, what what was what when was Oklahoma? Uh, was like I should know years. this. This. Is, uh, I think so. Uh, Lando yeah, trivia. I think this, this predates the Oklahoma... Uh, 95. 95. Yeah, so, still predates it. Yeah, 95, yeah. Yeah, it predates it. Um, but there was also an attempt, um, I think it was by Al-Qaeda, or a similar organization, to fly a plane into the Eiffel Tower, I believe. But it was... <laughs> it was, Which is a, clearly the worst target. I mean, it would be a terrible tragedy, but... <laughs> the Eiffel Tower, really? Um... And that that uh, failed. Um, anyway, so that all ties into like the era in which the Whisper War happened, and I had to explain why um, 
I mean, the description of the How the Wisp War happened, even though it was like not going to be, it was an occult underground war, which the 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 body politic doesn't always really pay attention to. But it was just easy to explain away and make it more. Um, it was a big, big fucking violent um, uprising in the, of occult shenanigans, and Monica Barbary was able to be like, you know what, I'm going to take kill these thormophages, take over New York make people forget about that and take over back attacks and put it back to exactly where it was before but except we have other things to deal with now um so it worked in the law building what are some other fun stuff they added here they are fond of because i do like i do like the lore change as well i'll go into that a bit more later um because i developed a bunch of like um different groups like um cooperative and antagonistic groups I've got um people that uh mac attacks on airplanes I've got Mac attacks, but with cigarettes. Uh, I've got, um, and they're friends, and I've got um, various bad guys, including I, I've taken some really old lore and, and just fucked with it. I've got uh, North Korean Mac attacks. I've got, I've got unnatural entities and and all kinds of people getting involved. Uh, I don't know how much detail we want to get into on these, but there's stuff I've got. I've Is got there stuff any for you, particular one or two that you're very fond of that you'd like to include for listeners as like a, as a sampler? So Tormson wrote a really cool school of magic, but didn't write in a sample NPCs for it for the book, and it's called Exusaturgy. And Exusaturgy is a school of magic based on feeding pieces of your own body to other people. And it's like super gross, but it's very evocative. And he didn't have a sample NPC for it. I was like, I'll fucking write a sample NPC for you because he had written in it that the way that you can get a major charge is by feeding yourself entirely to another person. And then the way that you can use that charge is be by being reborn as their child. But the norm, so, so that's the one way to get the major charge. The other way to get the major is to feed someone your entire reproductive system. And I was like, okay, I can swing this. And so, or, or, uh, I too can eat someone's entire reproductive system. I could, I could, <laughs> I have definitely, Frank, you can definitely eat a dick, but that's I, I not where I was have, going with this. But, thank so, you. So, um, so, uh, Tormson, remind me, is it, is it you have to feed the entire generals or you just have to excise them? Because the way that, um, the way that I, I set it up was that. You can't excise them, it's not, it's, uh, yeah, you have to, it's, it's about, it's about the, the feeding, yes. Okay, because the way I set it up is that it was a um, a Skopsy, like a guy in the Russian castration cult who had, like, fucked up his generals, and then he was like, God, please tell me what to do next. And um, he interpreted it as a command from the Divine, but it was actually an exosurgy spell that said, go to um, go to this cave in Tibet where he found a, uh, you know, a bone sorceress who was also all about the auto-cannibalism. And together they hatched a plot for living forever, which is that they would each of them just perpetually cycle through feeding feeding themselves to the other one and being reborn as the child. And so they've, they've right. done this for generation after generation. And besides killing, repeatedly killing and eating each other, they're actually like really good dudes. They run a Nepalese restaurant now and they're huge fans of Mac attacks. They really, they really just love the work that they're doing. They love them so much that they want one of them to marry into the family and potentially sire or damn the next Boris or Dawa. Yeah. And I like them I like a, lot a lot because part of the emphasis behind excessive surgery was because like once upon a time, Anunnami's was famous for its um, kind of gross magic schools, kind of fucked up magic schools. And you didn't see that as much in the new 
and the third edition, um, like I'm sorry that clothing magic and car magic is just it's 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 good, it's fun, but it's not yeah. that it's, so, it's not that so shocking and, and realistically and, if we actually accept the way obsession works in unknown armies, there's gotta be at least a half dozen magic schools based around like piss and shit. But nobody wants oh, to course. fucking play that. That's gross. Don't. So, yeah. and it's it's gross in a way that's not really evocative. In the same way that like auto cannibalism or like the 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 pervert society pornomancy uh, uh, is. So, so I think Tormson, the, the the reason why this school is cool is because it's gross, but it's ultimately like it's all consensual. You don't eat other people. You feed yourself to other people, mm. and you don't even get to like mind control them or anything when you do it. You get some, you get a bunch of cool things you can do, but it, it, it's, it's all about, yeah, it's, 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 it's fucked up. It, and it's, but I, I, I liked how you were criticizing me for like not having good enough spells for that, but I eventually added some things which made it a bit well, more so, spicy. Well, so, so the, the, the reason why I, I criticized it was that the original way to get a SIG was to permanently injure yourself, and the spells you were getting from that were worse than the ones that, Epis get for temporarily injuring themselves. So I was like, this is this is not balanced. You need to get a either either you need to get a permanent benefit for a permanent debuff, or you need to make it not permanent. I think you ended up making it not permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it I balanced it a bit. I like Essex Sergi. I, I think it would have been cool to have a, a sample player character, but uh, I, we, I we could did come up with one quickly enough. Yeah, yeah. The pregens are good. We've also got uh, Velociturchi, which uh, Skelly came up with. Yeah, he talked about that a bit last episode. Yes, and we have Mancy Mancy, which is uh, your baby melon. Mancy uh, Mancy was... was yeah, so basically, I when I was doing um, Brethren on the Curb, which, uh, they, they, you know, they're having all these adventures and running around, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have three... I'm going to have three uh, uh, Mac attacks in the... Uh, uh, chargers and one of them is gonna like be just their 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 ability is gonna be to copy other people's powers and that was that was sort of my way of not having to do a full spell school <laughs> with like eight or 16 spells it's just here's how uh ardenari or art can like copy the player character's abilities and it was super fun because you know they had like realized that Magatex and he was fucking with him, and so they corner Art at the house she's renting from the Brahmin Occult Society, who are the um, the like wasp New Englanders who really want to be like the wisdom of the ascended masters. So they corner her, and she starts casting um, David Ben David spells back at him. David Ben David, the uh, the Capsicinaturge, which is another spell school that we'll see eventually, and it's that fun little moment. But um, the main issue with the spell school, and I think this is just never going to be fixed because of the way that Unknown Armies balances charge costs, is that it is very difficult to appropriately set costs for copy abilities, like copying a unique supernatural phenomena or copying a monster or special power or something. But I think you did a good job, and I think the fact that you can do that makes it fun. Yeah, because one of the things that Garrett said that I took to heart was that if it's just copying like adept powers you're never going to get to copy anything because people just don't use them that often. Well, yeah, like, the other thing is um, you're fundamentally limited by what you encounter during the campaign, which is under yeah. your control more so than most games, but if you're like, oh, I'm going to be a Mansumancer, and I'll, yeah. I'm going to put this Astrinaturge on the board so I can get Astrinaturge powers, why not just play a fucking Astrinaturge? Yeah, well, so the basic paradox of Mansumancy, and because and I'm, I'm, I don't really... 
like care that much about the paradox. I think that it's more important to have fun mechanics, but I do respect that it's a thematic big deal in Unknown Armies. And the basic paradox of it is that you are a collector who will inevitably collect more than you can ever use because you get charges at a slower rate than you have enough charges to cast stuff from your collection. Because the most you can get from a, a acquiring something is one SIG, and most of the SIG spells that you're collecting are going to take are going to take uh, more than that to cast. Most of your your lower level stuff is going to cost more than one minor, and you only get one minor per spell. And then I, I really liked the idea of having a cheap, a cheap major that was kind of not very good. So when you copy 33 uh, abilities, you can get a major, but in order to get it, you have to observe someone else could do a major, and then you can only do that major. I and I thought, actually, good. actually, I, I think it was 333 and not 33. I don't remember what number I ended up going with, but either way, it's not out of, it's not impossible that you could get that in the course of a game. It's just that, like, what fucking good is it? And the the whole idea was that, um, was that the the uh, endemic spice was trying to psyop DBD into using his um, his his capsicum aturgy major to do spicy piece in the Middle East. So then Art could copy that, go home, and do spicy piece in the Indian subcontinent. And, like, uh, like avert the, the coming, uh, like, all this this uh, stuff with, like, the BJP and the, you know, Muslim minority and so on. Or, you know, in the uh, Pakistan. Exactly. Yeah. I like Betsy Betsy a lot did because... They, would did, for would that they reason, have an issue with that? Uh, the issue was that the rest of the Cabal did not want him to like physically incinerate himself by eating the magical chili that he was given oh, okay. because it would have killed him. Okay. That's the literally, literally the end of the game was freeze frame as he was reaching and trying to grab it out of the box and everyone else trying to rescue it away from him. Look, and and he would have been a true martyr for spicy piece in the Middle East. Uh, it was a good point to end on. Yeah. Cuz that cuz that was a it was a, a motivation that I had a hard time integrating into the game because it was on a different continent from where the action was set. There's always a way. Yeah. I do like the I do like Mancy Mancy because the idea that you have too much that you can use is fun, and the idea that like whatever the GM throws at you, you can eventually throw back. It's it's a callback. It's a callback episode yeah. every episode. Uh, remember when the monster did this? Well, now I'm doing it. Um, that's a fun dynamic. You've also got an avatar, a single avatar, which wasn't originally going to be in this book, but because there was an NPC. Um, yeah, it was pre-gen. A, a pre-gen. A pre-gen, yeah, a pre-gen that used it. I was like, oh, shit, I'll put this in. Yeah, so I was working I was working on uh, something for Zero Yen, and I had read uh, the the manga series uh, Showa, which is a, a, a Japanese World War II veteran's recollection of his, of his experience before, after, and during the war in the Pacific. And one of the constant themes in that story was just a very intense hunger that pretty much everyone felt throughout that time period. Like physical starvation was one of the big motivators for why the Japanese government might've made made a whole lot of poor decisions during that time period was um, like, you know, Japanese fascism started as a farmer's rights movement and, and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, that plus like, you know, after the war, there was a thriving black market trade in methamphetamine because, like most countries during the war, Japan had uh, had given out a bunch of meth to, to the soldiers. They called it philippon, which is a uh, means love work. It's a combination of a Latin and a Japanese word, which I guess we do that with English. So I guess you can get away with it. Um, anyways, this guy, uh, Hyakutaru Uao, uh, named after the dude who throws fireballs in Metal Slug 3, uh, is sort of my riff on that character who is the hedonist. He's a guy who 
basically his constant craving for everything good in life gave him an astute understanding of other people's desires, sort of like how Baron Harkonnen understands greed because he's a big fat bastard, and made him really good at like being a black marketeer, assume, accumulating power, and through hedonism he gained the ability to just never age because he because he the avatar of the hedonist can reverse the effects of damaging like their body through drug abuse and drinking and eating too much and having a good time. And so if you eat stuff, if you just do stuff that would normally age your body super hard and you just do it really hard, you stop aging. And so he's basically been dicking around since, you know, like 1923, just yucking it up and he's like a crime boss and he's a fun character, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, um, the hedonist mechanically was one that I liked enough that when we were doing the, the corkboarding pre-gen based exercise for Zero Yen, because we're, not Zero Yen, uh, Scottish Rite, because we were like, oh, you know, nobody really wanted to sit down and make like a crop of four or five pre-gens. And so what we did instead was we actually just did a full corkboarding exercise. It was me, CJ, Kate, and I think Skelly. Anyways, um, when I did mine, I was like, I'm going to make her hedonist because this is one that I think is just mechanically enjoyable. And if we have to put the hedonist in, a, in, a, in an earlier book, then fine. I've actually been playtesting that recently, the, the hedonist, and it's good. It's um, It has fun abilities. The ability to read other people's desires especially is a very useful one. Yeah, which that, and we, we I think you guys have talked about this a bunch of times, but I've always found that knowing how many hard notches some other guy has in a stress meter is not as useful as just knowing how you can build up your own coercion attempt because yeah. ultimately knowing that someone has three or four or six you still need to get three or four or six in order to break through kind of the issue with coercion is um uh it, fundamentally it is easier to do things to f- and it doesn't require a feature to find out someone's passions as opposed to finding out what their hardened notches are and, you know, trying to coerce someone and it turns out they have hardened notches. There's not that much of a effect there. Also just getting the ranks. Like you can't get that many ranks up in a coercion attempt, unfortunately, at least. Yeah. In the, the rules max you can get is seven without, without a, a special die result. Yeah. Cause you start at base one, you can get three of your own passions and three of the other guys. Yeah. I don't remember if you can get an additional bump for including their obsession. I would allow it if, if somebody found a really cool way to do I think that. it's only it's passions, fine. but I mean, honestly, the way I think it should work is uh, for each passion you include, your or the other guys, it should be two instead of one, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. I think, though, the, um, the basic issue is that the reason why it's so hard to coerce is that coercion is an instant disable if it succeeds, just like all stress tests. So that's why there's a, a, like a pretty substantial difficulty attached to it, because it's a stun, effectively. Yeah. It is, but it's like um, the fact that it's difficult... Not just for players, but like, like not just for player characters, but for players to even figure out how to do it. Yeah, makes them less likely to do it. The other thing I might do is maybe start it, maybe start it instead, maybe start it at three instead of one, because by default, every fucking player character is hardened by one, so it does fucking nothing. I would say, yeah, it started at one or two, did two maybe. Although having to, I, I think the actual solution is probably just for us to not harden the NPCs so much because oh, realistically, true. if realistically there can't be that many people running around who have like absolutely no fear of just being blown up by a wizard with a flick of his finger. Sure, but the occult underground is more likely to have those sorts of people than most. Yeah. God, I think I think the it. reason, the reason I didn't hear it that time. The reason why it's it causes that mismatch is that 
it's very easy for a stress check to go quite high. It's very there's a lot of things you can do in a game that'll be like a six or a seven, whereas it's it's almost unheard of for coercion to ever go that high. So a guy who is unbothered by like killing someone in self defense is also someone who has no fear of a threat of violence, even though those are like those that might not necessarily be actually how that person would feel in that situation, be, but because they're both you know because it's a four is is self defense. I was thinking actually um, that magical coercion could be an interesting sort of thing for uh, I don't know if they really have this, um, but uh, in um, for a supernatural identity like being able to coerce like violence when you're like a tiny man or something would be an interesting ability to have as a supernatural identity. And you can still have that as a feature uh, for anything. It's like you know you can be a tiny dude and be like. Be able to coerce violence effectively because I don't know you're constantly decked out with weapons or something. Um, well, so yeah, but being able to supernaturally do it like that's a cool justification for it. But the main, I could, the main benefit a of, broader is like a supernatural thing. The main benefit of the supernatural is that there are a lot of caster abilities like like formula spells, but also some adept channels that forego coercion and just directly inflict a shock, which is always better because you don't have to do anything; it's just to spend a charge. I was reading, what was I reading? I was reading the sequel, I was reading a Peter Watts book, The Echopraxia, and yeah. they had um, the the vampire Valerie, she had this thing at one point, she was just like causing them to have like intense fear reactions because of stuff she was leaving around, and I was like, why, that's not, that's something you could easily incorporate into Unknown Armies, like someone who like doesn't have any magical abilities is not very strong looking or violent looking doesn't not covered in weapons but you just feel the threat of death when you're around them yeah Tormson, uh you said you're reading echopraxia the description of the guys of the military zombies dancing on the when they go to like the the like baptist like sealand platform and yep. they very briefly see those guys who are just stuck in an autonomic loop that was the inspiration for the pool men from Oh, yep. From the scenario that 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 idea that they would just be dancing in a circle, all imitating each other, and that each part of the body move, is moving independently of the others. That's cool. No, I see it. That now. was an image that, that I loved. Yep, yeah, those those are good books. I I, I went on a, a Peter Watts binge. Oh yeah, did you did you read any of the Rifters books? I did not. Okay, Rifters. The first one's really good. The second and third one are, like, only if you really liked the first one. But I fucking love the first one. I would say that probably about half of my characters and things that I write for RPGs are fucking stolen from Rifters in some way. And the other half are stolen from, like, Peace or New Sun or something, or maybe Wizard oh, Knight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, Blindsight, Echopraxia, those are great. And mm-hmm. I love, though like how stuff like that can have value in a completely different genre of game because his whole thing is like oh determinism you are a, merely a flesh automaton animated by neurotransmitters you know free will why do people believe in it because they don't have a choice and and then you can take that and take stuff from there and have it be really cool and evocative in unknown armies which is a fundamentally dualistic setting where mm-hmm. magic where there is a magical force that provides the divine link that provides the, the the self that makes decisions that lives inside the meat of the body. Well, that's the thing because um, Peter Watt's books like Blindside and Echopraxia, because he covers a lot of different uh, heady philosophical ground and you can take those ideas and just apply them elsewhere. And when it comes to the, the dualistic 
like with the, the metaphysics of unknown armies doesn't always answer the questions like that he raises yeah. in those books yeah. or just in general about free will and like because the way it works with the the invisible clergy and the reset and all that it's still if you'd like know that it's not gonna it's not a salvation there it's still like what the fuck's the point of this which means it's still everything's still applicable also like fundamentally what makes a character interesting to read about or watch or whatever is usually not very closely connected to whatever the bizarre metaphysics of a setting. Well, I'm actually going to gonna go in the other direction, though, because I just realized that Echopraxia actually has a very similar type of, like, I will practice an obsessive religion that produces results that look like magic to people who, who don't understand because they have a very myopic view of the universe, and that's the bicamerals. That's the fucked up, the fucked up hive mind people who explicitly say, our form of reasoning is not like normal human logic it's a fucked up like almost alien religion that you can't understand by pra- by performing these strange obsessive behaviors we are ge- we are given magnificent powers and knowledge that we have no way of knowing and that's unknown armies that's what magic is in the world of unknown armies i like how in echopraxia they um they refer to they reference to baseline humans as roaches Yes. As not necessarily a pejorative, but also dumb as shit, it's but impossible compliment. to kill. That's right. Yeah, it's like it's had the, like a baseline humans have had two million years of playtesting, so they they can survive situations. While the the uplifts of various kinds of uplifts, they haven't. They can be had killed by looking at a tested. stick. That's right. <laughs> and I like that idea. It's like, yeah, you're inferior, but you're also like more likely to survive because you know. It's always good to have stress. Well, it's testing. like the, it's like the difference between driving a car from the 1950s versus 2020. The 50s car is a death trap because it was designed in an era that everything was made of solid steel and there were no seat belts, so the car is going to be fine, but you're going to be liquefied in a collision. But you ain't going to ever see anyone like hack your 1950s car to break it open and steal things or make it turn off. Whereas if you're driving like a modern 2020s, uh, like a Tesla or something, you are at the mercy of like not only some asshole software company, but also every script kitty that buys a day zero exploit. Mm. Yeah. Different philosophies. uh, Yeah. Different philosophies of vulnerability and um, I guess philosophies of defense. Well, that's applies to adepts and avatars as well, because normal fucking mundies don't have taboos like because like they don't have they've not fallen down a rabbit hole yeah they're they're missing a big achilles eagle and we've gone over a lot of the gist of the book i think is there any like other things that they're uh, like yeah there there's avatars there's uh new adepts i'm a fan of all of them there's some very cool player options here there's some fun artifacts i was um Particularly fond of the Moonman helmet. Oh, excuse me, the Mac Tonight helmet. Yeah, we got to explain now because otherwise it's, it's going to be a bad look. So uh, yeah. we were like, we got to have, we got to have the Mac Tonight artifact, and like it can't, it can't be like an artifact of of white supremacy because you you don't want to put that in the book. Yeah. So you know, so what what happened was. For those of you not familiar, there's there's a an old series of McDonald's ads with a guy who wore a crescent moon for a a hat like a mask and the original guy in the in the in the costume was actually Doug Jones who's the guy who plays the monster in all the Guillermo del Toro movies 
like the the contortionist and he he was that guy with the helmet but then uh later like it became this like white supremacist meme where you would like edit like him saying racial slurs over it and so what happened in the world of of um uh, attacks is that a bunch of like super online uh zoomer nazis found the original mask and they were like oh we're gonna use this as like an in with the ordo corpulentus because we're gonna teach him like this is you know how we'll like promote conservatism so they get an audience with this guy and they try to explain like oh actually this piece of trash that we found is an extremely powerful artifact but he he's like an old fat man he doesn't use the internet so he just kills them and eats them because they wasted his time and then the mask gets thrown in a trash dump and then later on a scavenger detritomancer finds it says hey i know that there's a guy who pays a lot of money for magic items related to mac attacks and the burger wars and so that's how it ends up in the epperson collection the epperson collection is the collection of artifacts that um that that mac attacks has access to because uh yeah i want to like talk just touch briefly on gregory epperson i like him a lot as like a framework for bringing in all these fun artifacts that, that was a that was a nice thing to do yeah he's basically q from james bond but with like a bunch of other behaviors with like McDon- with mcdonald's chits I, I was sort of like wanting to get into the idea because Mac Attacks was a product of the early 90s onwards, but McDonald's goes back further. And I was sort of thinking of like the occult underground and the ubiquity of McDonald's. There must have been some like occult underground shenanigans with McDonald's long before Mac Attacks came along. And that was what Gregory Epperson was. He was like a guy who was collecting Mac, uh, McDonald's related magical artifacts, but way back in the 70s and 80s. And then bad shit happened to him. And he just, and he ended up missing the, the whole back attacks thing and get drawn in later. Um, so he's sort of like, I wanted a character which allowed people to draw on McDonald's related lore and weirdness, um, from before the canonical period of McAduck's existence. Um, and he was the guy with all the sucking artifacts and it was a good framework for, uh, introducing artifacts, very specific artifacts into the book. Because the original uh, Break Today source book, like, the all the McDonald's symbology a lot of time is almost, like, ancillary. Like, did, if I remember correctly, there's uh, Magatask cabals in that book that weren't even working at McDonald's. They were working at other um, drive through uh, restaurants. And one of the uh, things that I've liked about what you've done with all these various um, Splinter factions is that as they have uh, splintered and kind of glommed on to various different um, franchise fast food chains, um, they have rooted themselves much more in the symbology and the sorts of identities associated with those various specific chains. Like, whereas before Mac Attacks doesn't... Like, the McDonald's shit was a means to an end. Now... Like, all this shit involving the Scottish Rite is heavily coached in the imagery of McDonald's. And their artifacts, and... Fuck, the memes on the... <laughs> on the open image board. Like, uh, McDonald's is part of the Scottish Rite's identity now. In a way that was never really the case before. And that extends to all these other factions, too. And... One, it's like it's a cool way to bring in sort of some weird Americana stuff that's always fun to include in your UA game. But it's justified in a way that feels very on point for the way the occult underground operates. It's also a source of tension because you are essentially trying to do an act of good 
by doing, you know, direct, basically working for like one of the probably the top ten like most evil firms on the planet. And like, and like, and like to be clear, you're not the one like going and bulldozing the rainforest and stuff because you're just a burger flipper. But at the same time, this like I am going to expand the reach and corporate power and in magical symbolism of this essentially avatar of all of the excesses of industrial capitalism. That's one of the things that I liked about the uh, the court is that the court is like, yeah, we're you know all about burger feudalism and so on. But all the other factions, with the exception, I guess, of Zerian, are pretty much in the same boat of our our quote unquote socially positive goals are accomplished through like I'll kill you because you decided today that your burger cult was at Chick Fil A instead of at KFC. Yeah, the classic refrain of, well, at least we're honest about it. Yeah. So that's that's something that hasn't come to the fore just yet with this first book is the Burger Wars, which is or Burger Cold Wars as it as it is currently, where there's a, there's officially a truce between all the different factions or at least the ones that are aware of each other's existence, but that's only going to last as long as the player characters let it because realistically when you see another group of mages and they start fucking with you you don't think ah yes i will comply with the accord of salt lake city i will not antagonize the colonel's secret cadre you think sig charge sig blast it works really well when you're doing the corkboarding or doing like um as a gm when you want to like you just add another faction to the mix and immediately they get angry um, in, yeah. the, in the Coterie game, I threw in the Melusidians as the antagonists, and it was, and I think in general, just like throwing in the rivals is always going to create um, more player buy-in because they've got those other guys that are yeah. too similar. And fuck those other guys, and that's fuck why having all of these, all of these like both higher level but also the lower level NPCs is great because every like set of pregens and and burger flipper and whoever could just as easily be be a villain in somebody else's game. Yes. Like like one like my my character right now in Tormson's uh court game is is one of the antagonists from the Brethren of the Curb. Yes. And that's what I I wanted to make all these um and that was the issue with the Melisinians at the start because they were and uh, to court to the extent of because they were a bit more antagonist coded and I wanted to make it, it's like, okay, I have to make these more appealing to play. I want these all to, everyone, like, each of these factions has some shit that's wrong with them. And why you'd want to oppose them in one way or the other. With a Scottish right, it is, as you were um, touching on before, the sort of um, hive, men- hive mind mentality that uh, emerges from even anonymous image board. Um, it is, demo- the, the problem of democracy have when everyone believes the same thing um it's an issue that exists with the scottish right and it's if you're playing scottish right it's fine but if you aren't it also provides a a framework for why you'd be opposed to them or why their shit would be whack yo one of the things i do really appreciate as far as big picture stuff in this book is uh how much you've kind of anchored the identity of the scottish right in late web 1.0 the sort oh, yeah. of what's often looked at by like old heads as the good old days of the internet. Um, yeah, fucking Newgrounds, Homestar Runner, Fark. Sure, exactly, and to the point where like they, the Scottish Right, are in certain senses literally stuck in two thousand three. 
And what's funny though is that that like that for me is the old internet, but the original Scottish Rite is based on what the generation the Gen Xers thought was the old yeah, internet. Yeah, exactly. Which is the, uh, the like BBS and Usenet and IRC. Yeah, back before Eternal September and all that went down. But I think a lot it's of people summer have, on B. The the people that occupy the uh, open image board are the sorts that would be like, oh, B was never good. They they there's this very much this sense of oh, there's all these inside jokes and this camaraderie and like sure there's like a bunch of uh, ritual stirred into that, but. The all of it it's mostly in good fun, at least if you're on the inside of it. Well so when when Tormson was developing it, there was some mention of that the closed subculture of the of the Scottish Rite mailing list is designed to not emulate any of the um and is to to not emulate either modern internet culture or actual image board culture from that era. It's supposed to be like a filter bubble that by only containing members of the right conspiracy somehow creates better posts. The success of that being open to interpretation. Well, and it says straight up, like, there's a lot of shit posting on the on the image board. The thing the thing that that I find interesting is the idea of it's difficult to um, it's easy to forget that, like, most quality of life features on modern, like what I guess Futaba style boards didn't exist in 03 like the the it just showing you that someone was replying to you that didn't exist in 03 in 03 um there was no there's no site-wide archiving there's no other sites that are archiving it which didn't exist in 03 i think the big change that differentiates uh the image board that's used by mac attacks compared to you know like all the the fucking dozens that are on the internet now is not so much that the shit posters are filtered out, but the low effort posters are filtered out. It's that it's that it's that there's no normies. I, there, there's yeah. no normies. There's normies everywhere, dude. There's no normies everywhere. What are the Angus investors of not normies? Ah, uh, that's an interesting question because I've I've heard it said that like that me like having a real job makes me a normie. I, and there's which, a lot of people that would legitimately say, yes, that is the case. I guess You need I guess to be a neat to not be a normie. Is if, um, I'm trying to think of like a good, like, full metal jacket, helicopter style door gunner joke here. Like, <laughs> if he's more functional than me, he's a normie. If he's less functional than me, he's a very hobbled normie. <laughs> that is something that I've brought into it, into the internal divisions of Mac Attacks. Oh, not Mac Attacks, I'm Scottish Rite. Um, neats versus normies, different generations. Um, yeah, you bring up it, the it, Angus it, investors. It feels like a real subculture, and you did a very yeah. good job at that. And I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of what you've done there. Thank you, because every subculture has its internal squabbles and internal like that sort of tension and inside jokes. Is what gives texture? Yeah, like the, the something I can just think of off the top of my head is the like inside joke of a uh, kiosk here. <laughs> Kiosk, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, that's good. And like, yeah, they would say, but they would that like that is something that people like that. That's the sort of joke these guys would be making. So one one thing that I like about Unknown Armies universe, and I say unironically that I do enjoy this, is that canonically, as an unknown armyzoid, as a guy in the world of unknown armies running around you with magic spells, you know how many magic spells you have. You can set you explicitly conceptualize it in number of charges because in. Godwalker, 
they're always like, oh yes, the Freak realized that it had a charge left for that day, and it would need to use its daily power first, because that one would regenerate. Yeah, half that book's text is just him talking, is just the narrator talking about its own min-maxing. Yes, and that's wonderful, because it means that on this image board, now you've got motherfuckers being like, my Omega is three times yours, motherfucker. If you got one of my SIGs, it would fuck you right in the mouth. You can't handle it. Yeah, it allows you to bring the, the... The mechanics into the game world in a way that makes sense because that's how that sort of people would talk um they would like taxonomize and try to create uh, they would the mechanics of the game would emerge uh what's the word for it uh when something emerges organically like diegetically a, organically yes 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 it closes the distance between you thinking of uh your character operating this fictional world and how you are actually what your actual thought process is interacting with the mechanics of this game. And I think it's good to close that distance as much as you can. What I was going to say is that aristocratic conservatism thing I was talking about earlier, that is how actual real-life image board people view the world. That's also how real-life occultists view the world. Yeah, exactly. It's So, so it's, it's, a, it's a match made in heaven. Chip, is there, what else do we want to talk about? Um, because we're getting into nitty-gritty sometimes. I'm surprised the security uh, hasn't been called by us. <laughs> Or honest, don't, they, don't, don't they usually kick people out after a while for loitering? Or is that just... I mean, uh, we, we bought our food. We aren't loitering. We're having a very animated conversation in the middle of this McDonald's. That's true. That's true. I don't think this hot apple pie is as hot as it was. No. I mean, these, you can eat these things at any temperature, dude. It's, they're great like that. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, is there anything else we want to go into? Or should we thank this kind stranger for... Uh, Taking uh, time out of his uh, busy day of kicking children to uh, yeah. have this conversation with us. I'm, I'm Melon Bread. I used to do a show called The Green Box, which is... I still have people telling me that it's a, it's a good resource for the RPG Delta Green, which is a game by one of the Unknown Army's devs in concert with a bunch of other people. Um, I guess technically by two of them, but Tynes didn't work on it in um, a new edition until Labyrinth, which is the uh, the latest it's the latest Splat book, but it's a Splat book. And he didn't Anyways, work on uh, three I, of Unknown Armies at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he, he was one of the... Um, way, way, way back in the original like New Inquisition days, I think that was part of, partially his idea. It was his comic um, book. He was, it was a comic book to begin with. Yes. Yeah. He, his comic book to uh, begin with, Stolze was the lead writer and Tynes was the editor of those original yeah. Splat books. So, so I, I I used to do that show. That show's you know still up if you're interested in Delta Green at all. Uh, it's a mix of player advice, GM advice, and then exploration of sort of the the game world, different scenarios and stuff. Sort of similar to what you guys do on this show. It's one of the reasons why I liked this show even back when I was criticizing it for being very inaccessible to newcomers because <laughs> I th- I personally just enjoy game design shows more than actual plays. That's just I I, sure. I yeah. find that it's okay, uh, easier for me to listen to, which look look it's Anunnaki's itself is also inaccessible to newcomers, so we just I, yeah, I guess, flow. and that's one of the things that I'm so happy that that this book is finally coming out because what I'm hoping is that this will be useful to people who aren't who who have not run the game before and maybe don't necessarily know where to start by giving people a really strong framework to work with that's maybe absent from the core book. Alright, I know you haven't been able to understand Unknown Armies yet, but I'm telling you, this this series of yeah. five source books about magic fast food wars are yeah. gonna blow up in your mind. So, You're gonna understand it in time. It's gonna 
help you understand entirely. You won't necessarily need all five, hopefully. I mean that that realistically that's that's what that's the answer you get if you go on like the night at the opera discord and ask like okay what module should i run and it's always like okay run this one but use this fan patch and also like remove this part of the content because in my experience it kind of drags and if you want to introduce people to delta green then definitely use these pregens but slice off the unnatural skill and the magical spells and also fill in the language like, oh wait that's my that's the one that i wrote fuck okay <laughs> Uh, I am writing a couple other things on my own for unknown armies that um, you know may or may not come to fruition. I have just about put the finishing touches on the first draft of Icona Jewels, which is my riff on a throwaway line from Tormson's book of 333 scenario prompts for unknown armies called Goad. Uh, it is a road trip to a Neolithic temple in southeastern Anatolia. So where people are about to get into a big old occult brawl over a magical statue that has been unearthed. And where can we find this material other than taped on the walls of this very McDonald's? Well, uh, do you mean this material about the one I'm doing right now? Yeah, where, where, can, where can we find your stuff? We can put a link in the show notes to uh, the Crypt of Bell and Red, also known as the Rogue's Wallet, which is the blog where I post a lot of my stuff, that also has links to all these other socials I'm talking about, like you know, the green box and things like that. Uh, my various Fatal and Friends reviews that I write on different RPGs, things of that nature. And um, as far as this specific one that I'm talking about goes, I don't have like a schedule for when it'll come out. It's in the long term, I would like it to be a full status for your book. And there's a bunch of cool public domain photos I've been picking picking up, but I have to actually play test it first and then, you know, revise and then do layout and so there's all that stuff. Oh, but, all uh, the hard parts. Yeah. Yeah, and I've also been working on another one that I think I've already posted called um, Where in the Hell is Adrian LaBarge, which is a pornomancy-focused scenario that continues where our actual play left off. All right. You know, fun fact, gentlemen, the 2003 Splat book uh, that was really the source of all this that I'm working on, Break Today, is based on uh, a slogan from McDonald's, Have You Had Your Break Today?, which only this. ran from 1995 to 1997. So the fact that six years later they used it as the reference for the the, the, the cutting, very topical reference to use for this Splat book amuses me, especially when the previous uh, tagline uh, from 1992 to 1994 seems a lot more Anonami's relevant, but too long for a title. Um, it is the 1992-1994 um, tagline for McDonald's was what you want is what you get. Damn. That would have been a good, like, uh, slogan for the book. Take this pill and forget you were ill. No? Nobody? No. That's a David Firthism. It has been a long time since I've watched yeah. Salt Fingers. Yeah, let's, uh, let's enjoy is, this cold fast food. Is it unsettling to you that, like, the cashier has been trying to fish a chunk of ice cream out of the dip cone machine for like the last two hours and has basically like in a se- in a perfectly seamless loop dropped it failed to fish it out left and then done so again despite the fact that they stopped selling dip cones in like 2015 i, I just figured that's how that's what fixing those things entail 